everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Hey friends, before we get into the podcast, two quick things. One, my event Genderful with Aaron Lane is happening this Saturday, November 12th. You can still get tickets at steveweens.com slash events. It's going to be a great, great time. So check out steveweens.com slash events for FAQ and to get tickets. The second thing is this interview I just had, you're about to listen to with Aaron Nequist. Oh my gosh, so amazing and so good. I loved it. Felt like talking to an old friend. Uh, you're going to notice that there, there was some audio problems. Some of his words are a little garbled because of a poor Skype connection. Most of it is great. Most of it is fine. But you are going to hear uh, just some un- unfortunate uh, garbles. <laughs> is that a word? Garbles? I think so. Uh, so, But without further ado, enjoy. Uh, Aaron Nequist is an amazing guy and you're going to love him. Well, hey, everybody, here we are, This Good Word, episode 63, and the word this week is practice, and I'm here with Aaron Nequist. Hey, Aaron, how are you? Doing great. Oh, man. So Aaron is is a musician. He's a pastor. He's a husband. He's a dad. He lives in uh, in the Chicagoland area, and I think, Aaron, did you go to some Cubs games? I mean, were you were you at the series? Did you, did you make it? Oh, man. Last minute. My friend was given two tickets to game five, the last one at Wrigley Field. And we went down there, and it was the most stressful, horrific four hours of my life that ended in glory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, totally, man. Game so five was crazy. I've, I've never experienced – I think we stood three and a half of the four hours. It was just – it was <laughs> madness, and it was unbelievable. Well, that so, was really that, fun. That was one of those things where I remember. I mean, here in Minneapolis, I was like, if someone texted me and said, "Hey, you know, like we got eight hours to get down there, and I but I have tickets," that would have been a no brainer. Like, absolutely, I am there. I mean, the yep. one of these historic yep. world moments. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. Cubs fan, um, Aaron, you created a thing called a new liturgy, uh, which I think was. Uh, very cool. I downloaded quite a few in the in the very beginning, and you're also uh, the leader of the practice. And I want to I want to just tell people what the practice is. It's a experimental gathering where we immerse ourselves in God's dream for humanity, where we practice the historic disciplines that align us with God's dream, and where we carry each other along the way. We're learning to live out Jesus's teachings in the world. So I want to talk to you about the practice, about what led you, Aaron, to start that. And um, it's very, I, I feel like you're a kindred brother who we've never met, but our church is a, is just a lot like that. When I read that description, I feel like we're cousins. Um, but when did you start the practice and what led you to start it? Oh, wow. Great question. Um, well, how about I'll tell the short version, just so I don't bore you with... <laughs> 30 minutes of rambling. I'll tell the short version, but then you please, um, we can dig into any part of it. Yeah. Um, I think what happened is again, this is the real abridged version right out of college, Christian college, Christian, my whole life, my faith completely just imploded. Yeah. Um, like it ran out of gas, like it was done. 
And so I was a worship leader at Willow at the time. So I'm leading songs <laughs> I don't even believe. That is such a familiar story, though. Like that is, so many people are doing the deal mm -hmm. as their faith is being okay. wrecked. Absolutely. And so I think I'm leaving, leaving not just my job, but I think I'm leaving the faith, the whole deal. A friend hands me The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And I still remember where I was sitting when I read about the kingdom for the first time. Yeah. Like I'd yeah. been in church my entire life and I'd never heard a message about the thing that Jesus talked the most about. So crazy. It's unbelievable. So, yeah. so I have this revolution of um, it's no longer about getting saved so I can go to heaven, but joining what God's doing on the planet. Um, right about that time, I met Rob Bell, and he was speaking at Willow, and I was leading on that same thing. And he said, hey, we need a worship leader. You want to move to Grand Rapids? So I moved to Grand Rapids, joined up with what Rob was doing at Mars Hill, and it was just, it was um, kind of exploding at the time, really yeah. exciting. And as that was all happening, and my theology was widening and deepening in this dream of the kingdom, I realized, man, my four pop songs and a hymn um, aren't <laughs> sufficient enough yeah. for the beauty and the width of this big story and invitation. So then I was like, man. So we started exploring what are some different things that we can do together when we come together on Sunday besides just sing pop songs, you know? Yeah. And I'm not anti-sing pop songs. I, 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 I love pop music that's great um but so we started just let's do a reading let's not just sing a song written about a psalm let's read the whole psalm yeah and then sing the song but you know okay real basic stuff but to us it was revolutionary uh or just new yeah and i, I still remember saying to my, my friend who is my partner at the time like wow troy we're creating this whole new way of worshiping and he's like <laughs> yeah Aaron, it's called the liturgy <laughs> So I'm like, oh, that thing. Okay. So um, I left Mars in 2007 and then uh, came to Willow. And at the time, Willow was was trying to reimagine the weekend services. And so they said, join us. Let's do this. And so I, I tried to bring all these new questions and new learnings and things I was wrestling with and um, found out it, di it didn't. It was very mixed. The results were very mixed. There were a couple moments of glory, and there were a couple moments of uh, not glory. What is not? <laughs> it's that moment after the service when you like. So how how'd that go? And then you get the, <laughs> totally. Mm, well, Aaron, I yeah right. yeah. So I realized one of the big things I learned in that season was whoever asks the question determines everything. Whoa. And so what I realized, you know, for example, if the question is, how do we get the room fired up in the first 30 minutes of the service, then the answer is never corporate confession. Right. <laughs> right. Or, right. Or oh, paying for man. the world. Yeah. Wow. Or lament. Wow. Or extended scripture. Yeah. Or praying for your enemies. Yeah. Or Lectio Divina. I mean, you want to list all the ways to not answer that question. Right. And so um, so finally it got to the point where our senior pastor, Bill Hybels, pulled me aside. And he just said, listen, Aaron, we're, we're never going to do the things that you want to do in this service. He said, that's just not what our weekend service is for. And I remember thinking, 
well, that's pretty clear. But then it was awesome. He totally surprised me. He said, but we know people need it. We wow. know people need this journey. And we know at Willow, we're, there's more that we could still do to help people who are trying to go in their faith. And so he said, why don't you explore what it would look like to create some sort of other space to, to really dive into these practices? And so that was um, probably three and a half, four years ago. And can I just so, stop you there for a second? Can, can I stop you? Because um, you just experienced probably a pretty rare experience for people that are thinking the way you think. Most of the time it's, yeah. you know, we're, we're never going to do this. And so, you know, man, we'll give you six months or whatever it is. So kudos, I think, to, um, to Bill uh, for and kudos to you for being the kind of person, because I think that's the other side of the coin. Uh, kudos to you for being the kind of person that they would want to say, but we wanna, uh, we wanna, we want you to lead this other thing. That's really cool. Thank you, and it it is a huge tribute to Willow. I mean, for all my struggles to try to find my place here, um, they, I mean, for the rest of my life, I'll just be able to say, yeah. But do you know what they invited us to do? Yeah, and they gave freedom, um, and they funded it, and I mean, like I have. I mean, I just have so much gratitude to the leaders for launching us into this experiment. Oh, that's killer. So, yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, so we took um, a couple months, and I think I called every single person who would receive my call yes. and just asked for advice. And I went on a reading tear and met with 279 people at the Willow you know, coffee shop and just, we dream together, we listened, we, and, and then in the beginning of 2000, I think it was 13, 14, maybe, yeah. um, we, we did our first practice gathering in the Willow Chapel. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, amazing. So about two and a half years ago, almost three, and I mean, I've seen, so I've seen, I've seen pictures and I've heard people, but it's, it's in the round, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 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 I know that's intentional. So please talk to me about why you chose to do it in the round, and then tell me a little bit yeah. about about what happens at a practice gathering. Yeah. Um. Well, our 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 space preaches. Yes. Amen. So, um, and so I think I had been leading worship on a huge stage with jumbotrons of my face on the jumbotron. And realizing that, like, I'm spending 25 minutes saying, hey, look at God, while my face is two stories tall. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. it's literally crazy making. Like, yeah. um, so, you know, the room preaches. Um, <laughs> side note, imagine a, a teacher teaching about the priesthood of all believers while their face alone is on a jumbo truck. Like just, it's, <laughs> it's just bizarre. But it's like, if you don't ask the question, then, well, that's just right. what it is. Exactly. I mean, you know, so. It, yeah. That's what it is. We want to help people connect to what's going on. And, and I believe them. I, yeah. The motives are, just so you know, I mean, you know, because you've been a part of these kinds of things, the motives of people who make these decisions are so beautiful. Yep. I mean, I've I've yet to meet some sort of charlatan, um, egomaniac, yeah. you know, um, 
they're trying to do the best thing, but there's some unintended consequences. And so we thought if we're going to start gathering um, what are our values and how do we organize our physical bodies in the physical space? And so the couple of things we said is we want, we want it to feel like a holy living room. Mm. So a sense of regaining the sanctuary aspect, the, the idea that it's not all understandable, that there's mystery, that we're engaging the eternal, you know, this holy side. But we also wanted it to feel like a living room in that, it's it's just human beings together with god like it's yeah. it's not some ma- it's not magic yeah it's not um it's not perfect it's not pristine it's organic and it's messy um so we wanted it to be a holy living room and then we said you know as we've been learning and exploring just becoming um absolutely convinced in the centrality of the table and not just Eucharist, um, like the physical table. So we put the table in the middle of the room and set up all the chairs around it. And then we get our actual gathering culminates in the Eucharist. Yeah. Now, obviously, most is it fair to say most Christians on earth um, are part of a tradition that sees the table as the, the high point or at least a huge percentage? I didn't realize that as an event. I thought that was a crazy idea. No, the I sermon that, is. 40, the sermon is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever the pastor has to say about that <laughs> idea is the center of the gathering. But just yeah. kind of find um, so many of our Christian brothers and sisters see the sermon as one of the small ways that we prepare to approach the table and then are sent out in the world. So one thing that we found that having the table at the center is a couple things. A, no matter where you're looking – have to look through the elements of the table to see it. So if someone's speaking, you can only see them speaking through the bread and through the cross that sits on the table. That's powerful. It's really powerful. And then, yeah. And then because it's in the round, no matter where you're looking, you're looking into faces of half the community. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable. Um, you don't get to hide in a back row anywhere. Like you are a part of a communal experience, but there's something powerful about that too. I had someone say that they, they were attending, which again, there's no one right way to do a service or whatever, but they were observing, they were saying in the service that I've been going to, I can come in and go out and nothing's required of me. Yes. You know, I can. I'm in and observe and participate if I want, but nothing's required. And she said to me, she said, the practice requires something yeah. just to be there. Yep. And um, yeah, that's probably not a, a great growth strategy, but I think it's a really profound formation discipleship uh, strategy. You know, so. if this was a video, people would be able to see me like freaking out over here, like raising my fists <laughs> and... Um, but so uh, two things that I would underscore, uh, although I loved all of it, um, is that, so I, I study with a Jewish rabbi and we do Socratic study and all that kind of stuff. And he said that, um, you know, the tabernacle, when it was set up, it was always set up in the middle of the camp. And so the same very thing where when, 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 like in the, in the stories we read about when the, when, when the people would weep and they would stand at their own tents and they would look toward the tabernacle, 
everyone is it's 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 the same exact thing when they're seeing other people oh. they're seeing them through the tabernacle so um and what i get excited about is more more like these images are are repeated throughout like they're they they follow the ark throughout all of the hebrew scriptures and into the the newer covenant so i just think that's phenomenal wow and that's really and I agree uh, that the room preaches, and I, I I love, like I even think about I don't, like like do kids come to the practice? Do do any kids are any kids growing up at the practice? Um, they don't. But uh, phase two that we've been dreaming about is full family practice. Oh, so some sometimes they're in their age appropriate rooms. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes they're with us, learning together in all the messy glory that kids bring. Um, that's really exciting. Well, like, like imagine in 12 years where, oh yeah, you know, like, like it's just natural for me to look at my neighbor and through the Eucharist and and, I mean, like that, that excites me. Um, and and of course they'll have to deconstruct everything that they'll have to deconstruct, um, according to how we've gotten it wrong. But there's a beautiful part to that. And, and the second thing is this thing of what is required. Uh, I remember when I was, when I, when we were just getting started at planting Genesis. One of my friends, his name's Michael Binder. He's a pastor here in town. And he, he said that same thing. He goes, one of the things you got to figure out for Genesis is this question, what is required for people to come? Is it just standing in the seat? Is it, you know, what is it? And I remember that marked me so big. I think that's such an important question. Um, so yeah. thank you for diving into that, man. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, we're one question in, and um, we've been yeah. going for 25 minutes. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So good. Uh, okay, so um, let me ask this. Um, what are some of the musicians, pastors, writers, theologians that you're paying attention to these days that are sort of fueling you, helping you? Yeah. Um, oh, that's... That's a hard. It's a hard question because there's so many different streams. Yeah. Um, you know, like there's the. You know, uh, I. You know, I wouldn't be still a Christian without Dallas Willard. Yep. Love him. Um, so that was really important. Um, yeah, I actually uh, got to tell him that uh, a few years before he died. And um, I'm not a huge crier, but I, man, I almost lost it just wow. saying, you have no idea. Like, thank you. Um, wow. Another one from a personal standpoint, uh, Father Richard Rohr for the last 12 years has been, um, I think I've read everything he's, he's ever written and just been such a lifeline to a uh, grounded but mystical faith. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, historic in a way that evangelical isn't, yep. but so open to mystery and newness in a way that evangelicals isn't, you know, it's kind of right. a, an odd thing. So he's been really important from yeah. a real practice standpoint. Um, probably the two books that formed me most right as we were doing this was um, James K.A. Smith, Desiring the Kingdom and Mark Skandret's Practice practicing the way of Jesus. And uh, Mark was actually at the practice last Sunday. He's been, he's become a real friend and mentor. And, uh, but what both of these guys have been saying, and it's been what's just burning in my heart is, um, 
the fundamental call of Jesus is not to believe stuff. Hmm. And uh, it's to follow him. Yes. It's to join him. Um, and James, James, James Smith, he would say um, from an education standpoint, we've thought for years that if you change students' minds, you change their lives. But it's fundamentally not true. Yeah. You have to change their hearts, their loves, the things that they desire. And how do you do that? You, you help form their hearts. And so his book, Practicing the Kingdom, is um, I mean, I mean, uh, Desiring the Kingdom is has been so formative. And so like at the practice, we've said the lecture portion of the night is 12 minutes, sometimes if it's a guest, 15 minutes long. And the, the teaching leads to a practice. Yes. And so the point is not to sit back and say, hmm, yeah, okay, I believe that. Yeah. Who cares if you believe it? The point is to say, hey, I think I know how to actualize that in my in my actual body, in my actual life. And um, can I tell one silly analogy? Yes. Um, we've been saying, imagine that you're like, you're out of shape and you say, all right, I'm going to sign the marathon in my town six months from now. Yeah. Um, so you go to the local YMCA. And you say, hey, would you help me prepare to run? I can't run a marathon. And they say, yes, come to our back room. We have about a 30-minute concert. <laughs> it's like you 2 sounding band. And then yeah. we're going to have one of our trainers give a 45-minute lecture about how you should run your marathon. Yeah. Like probably, honestly, the first couple would be really helpful. Like you'd learn all this stuff. You'd be encouraged. But at a certain point, coming back week after week, you'd realize I'm literally not one step closer yeah. To running a marathon so what we're saying is we don't want to be a church as classroom anymore we want to be church as gymnasium yep and i love so, that i love that yeah. and how has that been um in people you know because i think people can get excited about that i mean you started that way so it's not like you changed it but i would right. still imagine that it's a transition for people you know to to sort of um Right. So talk about that for, I mean, how, how have you led people through that transition? Yeah. Um, well, you're right. We, we had some of our advantage is we weren't coming into an existing community and saying, you know, you came for reason a, but now we're going to offer reason B, you know, yeah. I have tons of admiration and compassion, um, for those who are trying to transition communities. Um, yeah, because no one, including you and I, no one loves change. I no. mean, change is hard for everyone. So anyways, so I, I think a couple observations. Um, one is we've had to remind ourselves that we've been immersing ourselves in this for years, yeah. reading all the books, yeah. practicing on our own, having these conversations. And we and people show up to three services and we expect that they're already all in. Yeah. Um, my wife reminds me of that all the time. She's like, you guys are swimming in this stuff. Help us. <laughs> yeah. Help us take one small step and then one small step and one small step. Yeah. Second thing I'd say is um, we learned right away. We knew maybe even before we started, like if it's just about practice without a kingdom vision, 
um, we will just place these practices in our previous framework. Yeah. Yes. Oh, say our framework, is what good things do I do to get to heaven? You know, it used to be saying a prayer that gets me to heaven. Now, oh, now it's Lexio Divina. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. but it had, we had to offer the bigger invitation. And so that's why our, our central text has been Matthew 11, um, largely using Eugene Peterson's version, learning the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, watch, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so, and then the last thing I'd say is we've had a lot of people um, visit and choose to not continue with us. Yeah. And there's a part of me that is always sad, but then there's a part of me that's like, um, um, there's that feel something feels really right about that. And some of our observation is, you know, we do a lot of quiet. We do a lot of practices that allow those inner voices that are screaming in all of us to come to the surface. Yeah. And um, if you're not in a season where you're uh, kind of able to enter into those, it's pretty terrifying. Yeah. And I, again, I have ton, a ton of compassion for people who are saying, hey, I can't go there right now. Yeah. And so what we're finding is most of the people who end up joining are people who are either in the crisis yep. where um, the pain has got high enough where they're like, I'm ready to dig in. Yep. Or they're people who are who are through some things and have really done some important work. So I think we said we thought at one point almost a third of our community were therapists. Yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable. We looked around the room, and I got you're like, oh man, they're reading my mail. Yeah, I mean they, they know all my stuff, and you know, but there is a sense that um, they've gone to those places, and they're not fixed or perfect, or they're just as broken as us. Yeah, but they've done some work that when those kind of voices um emerge in the quiet they're able to engage so yeah the attachments with the loves oh, come yeah. up yeah that's so good yeah. um all right so a little bit of a different question this is a little bit more personal but connected to the practice if you want to uh what yeah. makes your heart break these days mm. <clears throat> um well i'll start smaller connected to this and then um i i mean i think there's oh man i mean how how political you want to get you can go anywhere you want to go right now i don't i i, I don't want to start uh in any sort of us and them conversation um let me just say this um 81 percent of white evangelicals voted for the meanest, um, uh, most uh, divisive, um, bigoted, scapegoating, I mean, I could go on and on and on, yeah. president in, I mean, in our times, you know. And what's interesting is, I know a lot of my work in this season is 
understanding those who sided with them yeah. and hearing the nuance of why. Yeah. Um, the, the fundamentalist left is just as nasty as the fundamentalist right. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, not all Trump voters are backwoods racist, um, you know, so right. I, there's not that. But it's, it's very confusing to understand how my tradition creates people more bent towards that kind of rhetoric as opposed to less. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, I was, I was, I mean, we're two days after the election, but I, I wasn't going to go into the, but I mean, when you talk about heartbreak, yeah. um, uh, you know, my, my LGBTQ friends, how do they like, Oh, I know how they feel right now. And my black friends and my, like when I talk to like the, it's this is horrifying. Oh, um, two days ago, right right in the morning, I emailed. Um, I have some Muslim friends. There's a mosque right by Willow. Yeah, and we've been connecting. And I just said, "Listen, I can't imagine what you feel this morning." Yeah, but I, I know that my tribe was the driving force to bring it up. Yeah, and I just said so sorry and i want to keep walking together you know it's a drop in the bucket i realize but is that is really um yeah so for me it feels like a, a formation issue yeah what is it about our theology and practices yeah that forms us into these kinds of people you know yeah is it possible that that the Trump phenomenon is not an aberration, but is the natural outcome of our theology and practice. I mean, I, like I want to cry just just yeah. talking about. It. So, yeah, yeah, and I think um, thanks, Aaron, for being honest about that and kind of taking a risk um, two days after. I, I echo your sentiments, and um, I feel heartbroken at times, angry. I was with a friend the other night and um, she said, she's a singer songwriter. And she said, she's, she's following this band that, you know, they wrote this, they wrote this record. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically about it. It's basically about uh, sailing the ship into the shore, crashing it, burning it and starting something new. Right. And she goes, yeah, I mean, regarding evangelical Christianity, that's what I want to do. It's like, it's like we're on this cruise ship and we're just stuck. (laughs) We're stuck on the cruise ship. But then she said, Then she said, but I love the people on that cruise ship, you know, and I think that's where, oh my gosh, that adds to, I mean, I've been feeling so, I mean, since before, before Tuesday night, I, there has been this melon, I felt this melancholy raging kind of darkness on me. And I, I finally named it after, um, and even like, I mean, and this is no endorsement, nor is, a um, um, nor am I going against, but when a popular author, Jan Hatmaker, comes out as open and affirming, and instead of the response being, wow, I disagree or I agree, it's vitriol and it's hatred and it's like the house of cards are coming down around you and it's heresy. And and um, so that's what it's like. Can we learn how to disagree with some civility 
with some respect. But if we can't even do that with each other, how yep. in the world are we supposed to do that with people of different faiths who God loves and whose image that God has made, in whose image God has made them? And so um, I think, as I think about the future, and this is, well, let me ask you the question. What do you think the future of evangelical Christianity is as, as you yeah. look at it? And we're not, you know, we're not pundits. We're not. Of course. Uh, but but yeah. we care. We're pastors. Yeah. We care. What do you of think? Of course. Yeah. 80%. I'll give you my 80% answer and then I'll give you the 20% answer. 80% what I hope, desire, and, and think is the way forward is more include and transcend rather than exchange for something totally new. Yeah. And um, because if there was a perfect form of following Christ, we'd all be doing that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we have broken partial systems. Yeah. And what I'm becoming convinced of is not that evangelicalism is wholesale wrong. In fact, I could talk a long time about a couple of the profound gifts that modern, even modern white evangelicalism yeah. has been to the world. The problem is it's only one tiny sliver of the whole story and the whole family of God. Yeah. And so whenever we can say, hey, this is a wonderful sliver of the whole, I think it's a huge gift. Whenever we see our little sliver as the whole story, I think it's downright dangerous. And so my hope is, back to Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr says, um, my advice is to stay in your tradition and go deep enough into it until you tap into the river that, that connects us all. Wow. Well, that's about as beautiful a thing as I can imagine. So my 80% dream is I want to, you know, I'm trying to personally work it out in my own life. I want to stay in evangelical and. Yes. You know what I mean? Like. That's my roots. I'll always be a Nequist. Like yeah. that's going to change. But that doesn't mean I only have to live by only the values of my parents. Um, hopefully I'm learning from more and more people. The 20% has, um, there's been a gnawing question. How do I dig down in a tradition that intentionally cut all its roots from the big tradition? Yes. And that haunts me. Um, yeah. our, our grandparents and parents, in some ways, in some versions, through cut all the roots, said, we're going to just make it up now for our, for our friends. And there are huge implications that we're living with every day. So there's a part of me that wonders if um, evangelicalism is too unrooted yeah. to be able to return. So I have that question. And then, frankly, I... The last couple of days I've been saying, is it too, is it too toxic? Yeah. Is it, um, has it become, can you integrate something that is fundamentally toxic? And I don't know that that's just kind of the emotions of where we're at right now. So 80%, I think there's going to be an ecumenical future that involves, I mean, every time I get together with my spiritual director, I joke. When are we going to start a church with one of our Anglican friends and one of our Pentecostal friends? Yeah. When are we just going to do it? And we and we laugh because we realize there are a couple non-starters there, but only a couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, yeah. So 80% ecumenical 
where we all bring our tradition to the table and learn from each other. And then I do have a small thing that says, or if we really are a ship crashed up on the rocks, um, we might need to find a gracious way to begin building a new ship. So, yeah, and I mean, you can use that, you know, it's only a metaphor. You can say, you know, we're going to take some, some, some planks off that ship. We're going to take the most important, yeah, that's planks. Right. So we're going to take the rudder. We're going to take the, you know, yeah. so I mean, I mean, I think there's a way in which to use that metaphor, um, with yeah. hope. And yeah. what I hear you saying, which I would tend to agree with the, with the 80% is, uh, if we can transcend and include, if we can, let's do that, yeah. man, let's do yeah. that. That's our hope. That's yep. our hope. Yep. If, yep. however, uh, it is becoming overly punitive, toxic, and exclusionary to the point of we're, 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 we now have to go against what Jesus stood for to stay yep. with it, then yep. no, uh, then, then, then we're done. Um, isn't that true? Yep. Yeah. And I see that, you know, have a lot of pastor friends and I watch them either stand up for the least of these and get killed. Killed. Like, yeah. 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 Killed. People can't understand what it's like to be on the, the receiving end of the vitriol from their own tribe until they've experienced it's it's unlike anything else or i have pastors that behind the scenes they're all in but they are rightly discerning that the sunday after they make some of these announcements they're un and i used to think that's you know, in my college days, I would have called them a sellout. And, you know, and maybe if you stay there for 20 years, maybe that there's something to be said about that. But um, these days, it's a little more complicated than. Oh, yeah. Than, I, I hear that. And you cut out a little bit. I'm going to say Aaron said that, you know, the day after they uh, announce oh. what they're going to announce, they're going to be unemployed. And I think there is a wisdom in in saying um, and it's not just for your family or for your paycheck. But it's also, I think there's, when you love the people that you're leading, when you love, when yep. you look out on those seats and you say, this is not just yep. about my agenda and what I want to say and I have to get it out there. This yep. is this is me saying, what does love look like in terms of how people yep. will respond and what this will do to our community and how, yep. so there's a tremendous amount of discernment and wisdom, I think. It is not, you know, when you're, when you're 22, you just want to, you just want to say yeah. it, you know, yeah. but when you're, yeah. you know, 45, 46, I just turned 46. It's like, um, yeah. you, there's discernment. And I would yeah. say, Aaron, it's like, I feel like pastors, many pastors, um, they're, 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 they're doing the deal. They're, they're, they're working in these churches that they love. And they're having these really hard conversations with other pastors over beers and cups of coffee and whatever. And they're like, man, I, when, when, when do I say that? Or when, when, when do I say this? When, um, this yep. is driving me crazy. And, and so I think to even bring that up, you just put your finger on the pulse of really what's happening to a lot of really faithful pastors are having conversations that they don't know how to have. And they do yep. want, and they want to be wise. They want to be discerning, yep. but they don't. They don't know where to bring it, and it's 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 a it's a pretty bad situation. Yeah. So, 
And uh. one thing I'd say about that, you know, like speaking the truth, you know, for me, the 22 year old version of speaking the truth. I mean, I was a, a bear to be around. Well, me I mean, too. I thought, I, you know, I still do sometimes, but I thought I was right about everything all the time. Totally. And you needed to hear it. What I'm realizing is a more nuanced conversation is not watering down the truth. It's actually more true. Yes. Does that make sense? Like it totally. Let, let's take the election thing. Um, if you don't call out the blatant playing on racism, yeah, you're not speaking the truth. Right. However, if you don't acknowledge that some of the Trump voters are legit have legit gripes that are yeah. not just racism, right. that are about Okay, both of those things are true. Yes. Now, if you try to talk about them, you'll get killed by everybody. <laughs> you know? So, so you know, what's hard is for most of us, our first step is to say the opposite truth that we've been living in. Yeah. Which is equally out of balance. Yeah. 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 So, yes. Oh, so hard. oh my gosh. So I have lots evangelical friends that are just now bullhorn, um, one-sided, one note. you know, people with elite liberals, you know, yeah. one note, and they're only that. Now, a lot of that is profoundly true and needed, but it's equally out of balance from some of the far right, yeah. you know, that is one note. So anyways. Oh man. Yeah. I, 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 thank you, Aaron. Wow. That, that was rich. And I absolute so and you know I think about Richard Rohr talks a lot about ego and would say man that's just uh, a lot of ego talking <laughs> on 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 when you're so inflamed with one note bonk 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 at some point you have to you have to pause and say oh man what am I blind to what am I not hearing what am I not seeing yeah. and what do I what yeah. do I need to learn you know, how do we need to grow? So, yeah. uh, okay. Friend, can yeah. I say one thing about yeah. that? Yeah. Friend and I were talking, we we're having this, this kind of conversation. We we're going for coffee and, and we were like, you know, at the end of the day, if we can try to maintain or, or gain like some sort of deep humility. Yeah. Like, I think we're going to be okay at yeah. all of us. Yeah. Like if we don't have to figure it all out, we don't have to, but like, if we're humble, I think we said if we can stay humble mm. and grateful, wow, we're gonna be okay. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of my prayer for. I mean, myself. I mean, when these kinds of days, it's so great. Gratitude goes right out the window. Yeah. And then that that righteous indignation comes in, and then humility goes right out the window. And but trying to remain. Trying to be humble and, and grateful. grateful. You know what that yeah. that makes me think of even the future of the evangelical church. You know, humble and grateful. Mm -hmm. Th those two, those wouldn't yeah. be two two poor things to guide us. But also, yeah, right. you know what I'm noticing, man. So I have I have three boys. I have a nine year old and then two seven year old twins. Uh, so Isaac's nine. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I have twins cool. that are seven. So uh, three boys. And we've noticed that one of them, just in, even especially in the last couple of days, but it's just way out of control. Got an email from his teacher and, and we were noticing it at home. 
And it's like our kids, I think, you know, they know what's going on. I mean, even if they don't know the words, like they're picking up the stress, they're picking up and I'm feeling the stress. And so I, I caught myself like, you know, like losing it with my kids when it's really not about them. It's about I'm feeling all this darkness about, about the world. And so I think even the, the like, what is the prayer of gratitude we need to pray as we as we walk into our doors and see our children and see our spouses and see our loved ones to say, okay, no matter what I'm carrying here, I'm not going to work it out on them. You know what I mean? I'm not going to. And that's that's part of gratitude, yeah. just to say, hold on, I love these people. They're not. Yeah. They don't have to take it just because they're right. closest to me. Right. Um, I, I don't know why that that clicked in with me when when you said when you said gratitude. I mean, that's part of it. Um, sure. I really think that's part yeah. of it. So. Yeah, um, okay, maybe um, on a lighter note, or not. Uh, what's making you smile these days? What's what's giving you joy? Yeah. Well, this is such an easy one. You just brought up the boys. Yeah. And uh, I have two boys, 10 and 5. Wow. And this morning we had donuts with dad at the older one's school. Yes. So the 10 and I went, you know, a half hour before school started and they had the gym set up and donuts with dad and all that. And we just sat they had all these questions like an interview dad and then I asked them some of these questions and it was so simple it's just sitting there talking yeah and laughing we like it was so fantastic yes and so donuts with dad is making me smile fantastic i love that i love that yeah. i love that um yeah. well maybe are you okay with one last question um so your wife is Shauna Nequist. She's yeah, written sure. lots of great books. And so you, yep. you're, you both are yep. these creative people that – how do you find the rhythm? How do you interact with a marriage where there's need for silence and getting your work done and being creative? How do you how do, you do that well? How do you, what have you learned over the course of, of your yeah. marriage in that regard? It's a great question. Um, I think it's uh, – Real time, short accounts, um, real time conversation. Yeah. And um, it's the, you know, like, yeah, the, 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 the how do we make space for both is a very real issue. Yeah. And um, we do it well in seasons and we do it poorly in seasons. (laughs) And um, I think probably the biggest thing is when either of us let fear or or skin to our kind of inner worlds, then we end up making a real mess with the marriage partnership part of it. Did you say, Um, did you say fear and scarcity? Fear and scarcity. Yeah. 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 Got it. Got it. And I just did this recently to Shauna so that (laughs) a little confession time where I got, freaked out that there wasn't enough for me to do such and such and this and whatever. And it didn't lead to a constructive conversation. <laughs> it led to a totally polarizing conversation. Yeah. And so, um, but I, I think it's, it's, um, seeing the other, it's celebrating the other, it's hearing the other. Yeah. Um, 
I, I know one of my friends, and this is a little different um, in our situation, uh, but one of my friends is a pastor, and he said, I've been encouraging my wife for years to like use her gifts and follow her passions and all that, but I've been unwilling to make my life any smaller. smaller. Oh, my gosh. Ouch. To create space. Yeah, yeah. How many, I mean, really, how many How many guys do you know that might that Oh, might yeah, ouch. Off? Ouch. Personally. So they want to like, please follow your passion. Hey, I'm going to work late again. Can you make sure dinner's ready and the kids are, you know? So, um, so encouraging a spouse slash partner is as much about what we're not going to do in our own lives wow. that makes space for them to, to really live it out. And that's a, that's a, that's a high calling, you know? That's the gold mine for me right there, Aaron. I mean, really, I mean, that's, I think that is a really challenging piece for me and for others, big time. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Was, was there anything that you hoped I would ask you that, that I didn't ask oh, you? Um, no, I mean, that, that, uh, maybe the last thing I would just say is, is, kind of a really small specific thing, but it's something that uh, I'm believing more and more. And it's a really concrete practice that I've been feeling like we need this fall. And then after Tuesday, I feel like we need even more, um, is a weekly decision to pray for our enemies. Yes. To, to name and pray for them. And we started doing this last fall. We always do a confession and assurance. And then in light of the assurance, we try to name one enemy, either in the world or in our specific life. Yeah. And then put Jesus' words into practice, pray that God would bless them mm. and that God would comfort them and lead them. And, you know, so, you know, we've been saying a lot of Sundays, we say that's probably either Trump or Hillary. Yeah. So don't yeah. pray for the person you're going to vote for. Pray for the other one. Yeah. Pray for the marriage. Yeah. Pray for their kids, right? You know, yeah. and there's something that that unlocks, you know, if 52 times in 2017, we as a community sit together, name an enemy, yeah. and then pray that God would bless them. There's yes. something that that does in us. So, um, yeah, again, that's kind of weird and out of order of what we've been talking about, but no, no. Um, something I'm trying to, we're trying to do as a community. It's something I'm trying to do in my own private time. And it's something I'm trying to encourage um, other pastors and worship leaders to, to, to lead their communities in. Man, that is, that is really, really good. Again, love your enemies. I mean, it's, I think Jesus right. said that I mean, a couple of times, yeah. uh, but yep. To, yep. to put it into practice and to say, yep. we're going to do this every week because it's that yep. important. And there's a yep. way of, you know, well, yeah, I, I, I should love my enemies. Or, no, we're going to we're going to pray. Right. We're going to bring their faces to our minds, yep. believing yep. that something yep. ultimately over time, drip, 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 right? Drip, drip, yep. drip is going to change in our hearts. Not not right away. I don't I don't pray for my enemy yep. because I because I because I love them. I, I'm doing it yep. because I yep. need to. Yep. But maybe maybe doing that, I will learn to love my enemies and maybe even myself. Oh my gosh, you know, um, and my spouse and yep. my kids. And so yep. 
almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so, like we we want to make it so complex and complex, but it's really no. And and it's like Jesus could have explained all that. Well, well, here's what's gonna happen, right? You're gonna you're gonna pray for your enemies once a week, and then after about two or three years, you're actually gonna it's gonna sink you. I mean, but he didn't. I love that he just said, well, maybe maybe you'll practice it. Maybe 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 you'll try this. Maybe you'll try to love your enemies, and then maybe you'll see maybe yep. you'll see what happens. So, um, oh gosh, yep. that's good. So good. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much, man. I've just, this has been like talking to an old friend and I, 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 my heart feels, uh, bigger after having talked to you. Uh, I'm excited for what's happening with the practice, um, and with your family. And I can just, just can imagine, you know, just all the regular stuff that goes on, but, but you're leading something that feels hopeful, that feels expansive that feels important and I'm glad that a person like you is leading it. Um, so mm -hmm. yay. Yay. So, um, we, well, um, thank you so much for, for sharing all this sweetness. Uh, I end the podcast every week with a little, um, it's this good word. So we're exploring, uh, what is, uh, holy about our humanity. And so we came up, I, I came up with this sort of slogan that we say at the end of the time. And it's, uh, we're human and holy. We're limited and limitless. Uh, we are dust and breath, and we're in it together. Uh, and so, man, thanks for being a part of this community. And uh, gang, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put um, on the show notes. I'll put links to uh, James K. A. Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom, as well as Mark Scandrett's book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. So you can click on those and buy them. I'll also put a link to the practice just so you can just kind of browse around and just see if you're a pastor or a church geek like I am, uh, you, you might just want to see sort of what they're doing. I'll also put a link, uh, Aaron, to a new liturgy, uh, just for, to, for people to dive into some, some of that stuff. Is there any other ways that we can stay in touch with you? Uh, are there good ways, Twitter or yeah. something like that? Well, the, the, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, a film company just, um, made public a little film that they had made about the practice. Um, it's ddocs.com and, uh, they just did this, this little like seven or eight minute thing and it it just captured the community better than anything we'd ever seen it's real simple and so if someone's interested in the story yeah. and to not just hear about it but to see and taste it a little bit yeah uh, i can send you a link to that if that's something you'd want to add that'd be fantastic man that'd be really really yeah. great i'd yeah. love to include yeah. that much, so um cool. all right aaron thanks so much for your time man and um blessings to you blessings to you yeah, love the conversation yes. all right peace, peace. Stirring in your chest